If you were raised in a, as a Christian and grew up in a particular denomination or tradition of worship, you might not have, have sung that last song on, on Palm Sunday, and, and not just because of the, the style of the music. Uh, some of those who uh, observe Lent uh, as a season of reflection or repentance uh, won't sing any songs that mention Jesus' uh, resurrection like we just did. Jesus conquered the grave He's the, for the glory of the risen King. Won't even use the word Alleluia like we sang earlier, Alleluia, Amen, until the, uh, in, in any of that time during the 40 days before Easter to, to emphasize the, the sorrow before the celebration. Now, I'm sure that tradition uh, makes that moment that we'll have next Sunday morning uh, on Resurrection Sunday all the more powerful when you know you've been, you've been waiting, waiting, waiting for it. But we've been working our way through the, Paul's letter to the Romans uh, here since, since January. And with Paul, we just can't wait to get to the resurrection. We can't, can't wait for it. Uh, Paul uh, mentioned it in the very beginning, the, the greet, opening greeting to his letter in chapter 1. Uh, he, he mentioned at the end of chapter 4, uh, Jesus' resurrection. We're going to see it again this morning in chapter 5, and then we'll be there again next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning in chapter 6. So I get the idea of focusing on Jesus' death on Good Friday and uh, the day that he was crucified, uh, focusing on Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday, the day he rose again. But we're going to talk about Jesus' death and resurrection on Palm Sunday too, because there's just too much to celebrate. Can't wait. Can't wait to get there. All right. Uh, our passage this morning is Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. I hope that you will have your Bible or the Bible that we've prepared or provided in the pew uh, and open up to that passage. If you don't know where that is and you're using the pew Bible, the page number is in the order of service. Um, there's also a, an outline of my sermon on the back of that, if that helps you follow along. Again, our passage is verses 6 to 11 of Romans 5. Uh, But there's so much overlap with our text last week, I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Reading from verse 1 to 11. By the way, verses 12 to 21 are going to be on Good Friday. So you'll want to come, you're going to miss part of the series if you don't come Friday. At least, if you can't can't come Friday, at least you can listen online on Saturday because you've got to be ready to roll into Easter Sunday morning, all right? So let me read verses 1 through 11 of Romans chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." 
This is God's word to us this morning. Do you hear how Paul keeps just piling on more and more of the benefits and the blessings that we believers have through faith from God in Jesus, uh, through Jesus, that he's given all these things to us? The, the more important question, not just do you, do, you, do you hear it, do you see all these things? I think this is the point of the passage. This is our, our statement this morning. Do you appreciate how much God has done for us through Christ? Do you appreciate how much God has done for us through Christ? Paul's putting it out there for us to impress us once again, to capture us with this vision of all that God has done for us. We are loved. We are, we are reconciled. We are saved. We're going to look at each one of those in three parts of the sermon and then add one more part as our response to all this rejoicing that Paul gives us in that last verse we just read. So part one, loved. God loved us. We are loved. If you're a believer, you are loved. Christ's death for us when we were ungodly shows us God's amazing love. Now, you're, of course, I'm looking at verse 8 here. God's love is mentioned there, but don't forget how it came up in verse 5 too. We looked at, at uh, as well, we looked at that last week. Um, there in, in verse 5, God's love was just one of several things that we've been given now that we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have Verse 1, we have access to grace. Verse 2, and the hope of glory. And then verse 5 there, God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. Now that's, that's what we could call the subjective experience of God's love. Not subjective in the sense that, well, you see it one way and I see it another. We all have different opinions. But it is a love that each one of us can experience personally. Now, as Paul moves, though, to verses 6 through 8, he, he seems to be pointing us back to the more objective reality of God's love that comes before our personal experience of it. What's that objective reality? Not simply the historical event of Jesus' death, though we believe that is true. It is a, it's a historical event, or even the theological significance that Christ died for your sins, but even more, that he died for you, when you were still weak, still, uh, still sinners, still the ungodly, still an enemy. When verse 6, six says, at the right time, Christ died for the, the ungodly, well, that could uh, refer to the right time in history. The, the age of, of waiting was over. Now the, the, the dawn of grace has come when Christ arrived. But the emphasis here is that it was before we could possibly claim to have earned his love. It was, in fact, while we were still, we remained completely undeserving. See, in verse 7, Paul gets us thinking, then, can we imagine someone uh, giving their life for another person? Can, can, I mean, it, it happens. It does happen. It's not very, not very often, but it does happen. And I mean, doesn't watching the, the war unfold uh, on the other side of the uh, world bring, bring this to mind? The, the idea of could, could I give my life for somebody else? Would I be able to, to sacrifice my life to save someone? It would be horrifying to, to have to die a violent and brutal death. It, you know, we were repulsed by that idea, but you probably can imagine a scenario where you would give your life for your spouse, a wife, or a husband, or a child, a son, or a daughter. You can imagine that. You can imagine um, maybe 
putting your lives on the line to defend your neighbors and your friends. Just imagine for a moment that you are a Ukrainian citizen, and you might not have been particularly fond of Zelensky before now. Maybe you voted for the other guy, I don't know, or somebody else. But you appreciate his leadership now, and you know the importance of what he symbolizes for your country. And so, even though you do not know him personally, he does not know you by name, you might take a bullet to keep him alive. So, where are we at? You, you might give your life for a family, for a neighbor, for a stranger, someone you don't even know, who doesn't know you. Would you give your life for a Russian? Would you give your life for the enemy? Who would do that? It's right here. Who would give their life for someone after their completely unwarranted attack on you? Who would give their life after the atrocities that they have committed against you? Who would do that? Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that was God's love for you, for me. The only truly innocent one who ever walked the face of the earth. The only truly innocent one suffered the greatest injustice. The only one worthy of the highest honor suffered the greatest indignity on the cross when we were the ones who committed the atrocities against God. When the whole world agreed that we must answer for our crimes, Christ died for us. Let let that objective reality impact your subjective experience. Let the, the, the fact of God's love demonstrated on the cross 2,000 years ago impact your heart today. See, God shows us. It, it's not even God showed us His love. It says, do you see that? God shows us His love. He's showing you right now as we look into God's Word, as we will remember together on Friday again. He's showing us His love. It's still on display. While we were still weak. Weak doesn't seem to to fit in with the others, does it? Well, ungodly, sinners, enemies, while we were still weak? Well, weak, of course, in this context, doesn't mean, uh, you know, just unable to do anything. In fact, the the way the Romans, uh, that, that Paul describes this throughout this letter, that we were rather energetic, and aggressive in our sin against God. We, we were pretty aggressively doing what's wrong, but we are completely unable. We are weak in this sense. We are unable to do what's right. We are unable to justify ourselves when we still had no hope, no capability of, we couldn't fix the situation. We couldn't save ourselves. And while we were still weak, Christ died for us. Remember the example of Abraham in chapter 4? God had promised that that Abraham would be the father of many nations. But he didn't have it in him. He was as good as dead. The only way that God's promise would be fulfilled would be by God's power. And if it's by God's power, therefore it's by God's grace. And that's true and exactly the same for us. If Christ died for you, it's not because God looked down and saw something good in you first and said, oh, we've got to save that guy. Or, oh, she's so sweet. We should, you know what, well, we, should, we should save her. That's, that is not what happened. That's not how it worked. That's not the time 
line, the time frame. It was while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were enemies. So if Christ died for you, it's not because he saw something good in you, but God saw your need, and out of his love, out of his mercy, he, he loves you out of his goodness, not yours. Now, we, this, we said something similar a few weeks ago. That, that could sound like an insult, like he didn't, he didn't see something good in me that they thought like, oh, I should, I should help them out. He doesn't see something good in me that he wants to, to save. Well, just like we said that our salvation is about his power and not our potential, it's about his love, not your loveliness or your lovability. Uh, and, but, but understand, this is good news. Do you know why that's good news to say, you know what, you weren't so lovable when Christ died for you. Do you know why that's good news? Here's why you should embrace being loved when you were unlovable. But besides the fact that many of you are still unlovable, that was just, we'll, can, we'll carry on. Let's, let's, get, let's get a little deeper than that. Some of, us, some, of you are more, some of us are more difficult than others to get along with. But consider, consider a, a marriage. If you enter a relationship based entirely on physical attractiveness or financial assets, then you will never be secure in that relationship. Can I say that again? If you enter into a relationship based entirely on physical attractiveness or financial assets, and you need, there, there should be attraction, you should be able to provide for a family. Yes, all those things are. But if your relationship is based on those things, you will never be secure in that relationship. And those of us who are older understand why. Because you, it's possible to lose your job. It's possible for your investments to, to tank. It's possible to, to lose your health. Or at least your hair and your teeth. And, because eight, and, and here's the thing. You might lose your health... But age will inevitably take away the certain attractiveness, the superficial beauty of youth. It's going to happen sooner or later. But if a relationship is based on the kind of love that is rooted in the character of the lover, grounded in the faithfulness of the one who makes the promise, and ideal, of course, this should be both, then nothing can take that away. Hear me. You can't lose God's love if you never earned it in the first place. Isn't that good? You can't lose God's love if you never earned it in the first place. That's grace. That's the glory in the gospel. This is good news that we are loved. Do you appreciate how much God has done for us through Christ? Believer, God has loved you. You are loved. By God. And, and where do we see that? In Christ dying for us. You are loved. And here's part two. You are reconciled. Christ has reconciled us. Christ's death for us restores our relationship with the God we rejected. The one we had rejected in our sin. So we touched on this idea last week because it's there in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's not, it's very important, it's not the peace of God. 
It's peace with God. Peace of God, that, that's a thing in the Bible, right? You, you remember uh, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we could say that peace of God, in one sense, fits into that subjective category we talked about earlier, the, a personal experience of, of rest, of, of relief, because God is a refuge. He's a stronghold. He, he, he protects your mind from all the crazy thoughts and confusion and fears that you've got. He pricks your, your heart from, from uh, th- those worries and the, the things that, that, that trouble you. That's, that's the peace of God. That, that, that's ours through in Christ. But here Paul is talking about a more objective peace in some sense, a peace with God. This is, this is about a fundamental change in your relationship with God because the point of conflict, the point of tension has been, that, that, that comes, has come between us and God has been resolved, has been removed. How? Because we've been justified by faith. We, we trust God for what Christ has accomplished through his death. His sacrifice for your sins means t- taking those sins away. Taking, taking the, all that, that you had, all of your offenses, all of your wrongs you've done, taking those away, now you are at peace. You're no, longer, you're no longer at odds with God. You have been reconciled. You're not opponents. You're friends. Have you ever had a, a relationship strained or, or even broken? There's a variety of ways it can happen. I mean, if, you, if you've gone through that, uh, someone you've known for a long time, maybe even a family member, you, you've got blood. I mean, you're, you, you, you've, got, you've got history, and then something happened that it fell apart. Maybe it was a friend owed you money, and they never paid it back, and then they, they wanted to, like, oh, yeah, I paid you back a long time ago. Like, no, 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 and so, something like that. Or maybe a, a family member has been uh, spreading lies about you to other family members, pitting you, uh, others against you, and taking sides, maybe uh, any, any number of ways that, that a relationship can be strained or broken. Now, you get to that point. You, you, they used to be close, but now you can't trust them anymore. You're, you're certainly not going to, to confide in them. You're not going to spend time with them. It, I mean, what would it take? What would it take to, to bring those two back together? I mean, unless, there's, unless the debt is, is repaid, unless some kind of restitution is made, unless there's an asking for forgiveness, a, 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 a giving and receiving of forgiveness, there, there can't be reconciliation. The relationship is broken. And apart from Christ, that's where we're at. We, our relationship with God, the relationship that we should have had that as God, our, our creator, we, his creatures, the relationship we should have had as, as representing and ruling over creation as God himself uh, delegated and designated us for. We, we don't have that relationship anymore. The relationship uh, uh, the, the close kinship of worship and fellowship. We don't have that. And here's the thing. It's been broken by our sin. So the reality is we are the ones who broke the relationship. It's not that, uh, you know, God didn't keep up his end of the bargain. Like, God, you, didn't, you owed me and you didn't pay me, so I'm out. That's, that's not how it happened. We broke our end of the deal. We brought, he, he created us for covenant relationship, and we walked out on him, and so the relationship's broken. It was not, it was not a, you know, we just saw things differently. 
or, you know, it's a simple misunderstanding, or, you know, I made a, I made a little mistake and, and God just overreacted. It's not that, no, that's not how it is. As Paul said in, in Romans 1, we exchange the glory of God for idols. We exchange the truth of God for lies. We fired the first shot. We started the war. We were the enemies. Listen to the way verse 9 then starts in a similar way to verse 1. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, by Christ's blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, we're going to talk more about being saved in the next point. So for now, I just I want to see the significance of being reconciled, which is made possible by our being justified by faith, justified by Jesus' blood, so that by the death of his son, we are reconciled to God. Justification, we've been saying this over and over again, is about, is about gaining a righteous standing before God. And that's a, a big deal when you know that without that, you are going to come to final judgment and be found guilty and you will inevitably be condemned. Justification is a big deal. Reconciliation, dare we say, goes one better. Reconciliation is a restoration of relationship. We've been looking at the example of Abraham quite a bit lately because Paul's taken us there in chapter 4. Abraham can illustrate this too. This is from James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, quoting Genesis, again, like Paul, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Abraham was justified. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, justified. He was given a righteous standing before the judge. Even better, when the one who has, that you have wronged has forgiven you and wants you back, that's reconciliation. And that's what we celebrate. For all the ways that it's appropriate for us to think of God as judge in terms of evaluating, calling us to account for our deeds, he is not merely the judge. This is a sad fact that people with just a little theology can can mess you up. If you only think of God as the judge, you're not going to understand who God is. Now, if you, if you don't have any conception of God as a judge, I, I don't have to answer to God one day. Well, that's a problem. That's why you need to know God. Yes, we will answer to God one day, but he is much more than a judge, and he is much more than somebody that's simply going to give you a thumbs up or thumbs down at the final accounting. Yeah, Into heaven or down to hell, that's, that's not... That's not merely what God is. God is one who seeks to be restored to us in relationship to, so that we, justified, can be called a friend of God. No longer enemies, but friends. So I'm going to talk here a moment for those of you who have come in and said, yeah, I, I believe this. I've trusted in what God has done for me through Christ, through his death on the cross. I, I, I'm trusting that I, by his word, that I am justified, that I will pass at the final judgment on the basis of only, not anything that I've done, but only what Christ has done for me. I believe all that. I'm justified. 
this word says you're reconciled, and what I'm ask, I want to ask you is, believer, are you living into that relationship that has been restored? Are you living into that relationship? See, we, we could treat our justification, even our salvation, as, as just a simple matter of accounting. Paul does that to a, to a certain degree to help us understand what's going on. Yes, there is an accounting that will happen, but if you just think, you know, Jesus died so that he could take your record and wipe it clean, and that's it, you're not seeing the whole picture. And the whole picture is so much better than just clearing your record. The picture is being brought into a relationship, into fellowship with God. See, 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, he the righteous for us the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So that, in order that, the reason, the purpose, so that he might bring us to God. And here, here's the cool thing. Bring us to God there. That, that word in 1 Peter 3.18 has the same root as this one here in chapter 5, Romans 5, verse 2, that, that is translated as access. The, the, whole, the whole point is not just, again, we said this last week, not just to, Jesus just, just doesn't want to just open the door. Well, you can go. I, I've opened the door. You can go in if you'd like to, to, to meet God. To, to approach the holy, I'm just going to open the door. No, he, the whole thing is he wants to bring us in. He's, he's ushering us in. He's taking us in with him on the basis of what he has accomplished for us. He, as our great high priest, he, as the, the perfect sacrifice, brings us in through the veil, in to the holy of holies, in to the dwelling place of God, into to be at home with God life in his presence, in, in peace, in love, in, in relationship, in fellowship. That's what he's doing. To go from being an enemy to being called a friend. Do you appreciate how much God has done for us through Christ? We're loved and we're reconciled. And, and, and so we can be sure to be saved. This is the next one, saved. Christ, risen from the dead, rescues us from God's righteous wrath. Now, my my last two points will be more brief. We're still here in verses 9 and 10. Uh, But we're shifting our focus from being reconciled to being saved. Now, that that might seem really basic. That might seem like, wow, that's, that's right here in our wheelhouse. Man, we love talking about being saved. Christians, especially evangelicals, Oh man, you know, have you been saved? Are you saved? I'm saved. Are you saved? You got to get saved. We talk, we, we talk about that language all the time, but there's a, there's a few possible misconceptions that I want to clear up. I want to try to do that uh, even from these verses. So first, what is it that we're saved from? I mean, just don't, for the moment, just if you didn't have this passage open in front of you, how would you answer? What does Christ save you from? Well, uh, hell, uh, eternal damnation, uh, the, the punishment that will go on forever. Yeah, that's all true. True, 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 true. This passage says, puts it differently. It's the same thing, but it's, it's it put in a way that makes us maybe a little bit more uncomfortable. We are saved from the wrath of God. 
Now, uh, the wrath of, that's how uh, Romans uh, 1, verse 18, really started the whole story of the gospel. Um, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. That's, that's the problem. That was the bad news, we said. We're, we're under the wrath of God because of our sins. We're, someday we will face the wrath of God finally and forever for our sins if, unless we could somehow be rescued, somehow be redeemed, somehow be saved. As we said earlier, in one sense, we were the enemies, not God. We started the war. But understand, God is certainly opposed to the sinner in, in, in one important sense clearly opposed, and we needed to be reconciled. But this, but, but if that makes us uncomfortable, let me quickly go to another possible misunderstanding here. It, it was, was Jesus, in our sin, when we were still weak, when we were still sinners, still ungodly, still enemies, was, was the Father opposed to us? Was the Father against us while Jesus was for us? He's like, no, you know, God, give them a chance. They're not, they're not that bad. Um, you know, let's, let's help them out. Is, was Jesus for us while God the Father was against us? You could read it. Some people have taken it that way. But I, I think that's a, a horrible misunderstanding because the, 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 the tension here and also the beauty, the power, is right here in this passage. Both God's love and God's wrath are right here. They're both realities that we have to reckon with. God's wrath against sin and against sinners who do not turn to Him in faith. And God's love that was operating even while we were still sinners. God's love was at work while we were enemies. God's love was at work before you were born, before you knew Him, before you even had a, a thought to think, uh, is what I'm doing wrong? Or before you had a thought to think, is there someone bigger, greater, more powerful out there behind all the, the wonders of creation that we see? Before you had a thought for him, he was working in love to bring about salvation, to bring about redemption. So this is not, well, God, the Father, was really angry and he didn't want to, he didn't want to save anybody and he was, he was just more than happy to just let us go to hell. And, but Jesus came along and he's like, oh, we can, no, together the love of God brings about the solution, shall we say, to the righteous wrath of God that was appropriate for him. It was just for him to have a, a wrathful response towards sin, but he in his love works out our salvation. We have to know that we, have, that we are saved from the wrath of God, but we are saved by the love of God, saved from the wrath of God, saved by the love of God. As a former professor of mine, also uh, Logan had him, I know, uh, years later, uh, used, to, used to say this, do you want to see the wrath of God? Look at the cross. Do you want to see the love of God? Look at the cross. You want to see the wrath of God poured out on sin? That's what all the, the blood and pain and sorrow and insults, the betrayal, the ugliness of the cross, that's what it was all about, God's wrath against sin. But every bit of it was also God's love for the sinner, the pain, the blood, the, 
the whip, the nails, the insults, the betrayal. Took it all out of love for you. One last possible point of confusion in these two verses, 9 and 10. This might seem like splitting hairs here, but it, it's, it's uh, something important for us to follow. Is Paul saying that Christ's work is somehow you know, compartmentalized? Well, you know, are we reconciled by his death, but we're saved by his life? Um, do you see that there? Uh, if we were reconciled by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we, we be saved by his life? Is two different things happen in two different, different ways. And if you're thinking, I hope you are, uh, you're like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, it's all connected, right? Uh, uh, even verse 9, if we're justified by his blood, that means Christ's death gives us the righteous standing that we need for that day when we appear before God at the final judgment. That's how we're saved from God's wrath. Yes, what Paul is emphasizing here in verse 10, the death of Christ and our receiving its benefits in the past relates to our expectation of final salvation in the future. So yes, you can talk about, as the Bible does, you are saved, you have been saved, but this is talking about how you will be saved on that day when we stand before God. So listen to that in that way, again, verses 9 and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, future, by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So this is all about giving you and me as believers the confidence that if we are all, if, if Christ has already justified us, he, he's not going to stop there. If, we're, if Christ has already, already reconciled us to the Father, you can be sure that Jesus is going to finish the job because there's, 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 that last, there's that last step, that last stage, and it would be possible, possible for someone who's a believer to think, okay, well, I've, I've, I've looked to the cross. I've looked to Jesus and his death. I've, I, I prayed the prayer. I, I, I got baptized. I, I'm going to church. I'm, I'm trying to understand the Bible and, and live it out, and I'm, I'm trying to walk with God and live in the church and serve and tell other people about Jesus. I'm going through it, but what, what happens if I get to the end? And, and, and what happens if, I, I don't know, did, did I do something wrong or did I misunderstand or did I just not do the right thing or not do enough? Or did, what if I got to the end and, and it was too late and I didn't pass, I didn't get through? That's not going to happen because of Jesus. Folks, you understand, if he, if he died to that you could be justified and reconciled. If that's, if that's done, if that's assured, you can count on the fact that, that one day, the one who died, who is now alive, he's now alive. He's going to be able to take care of that, that day. He's alive. So it's not that his, well, his death does this and his resurrection does that. No. If he took care of that through his death and he's alive... He's alive, much more. He's, he's going he's to finish. He's going to do the next step. He's going to take you all the way. He's going to do that because he lives. So, you know, hallelujah. We'll, we'll say hallelujah. We'll say uh, thanks be to God. He's, Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen. We'll, we'll celebrate that again next week too. That's the reasons to rejoice. Rejoice here uh, 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to jump ahead. That's the last part. But let me, let, me, let me say one more thing about this. No, no, I'm, I'm going. I, 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 just, I just went off there for a moment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm at, I got to the fourth point. I didn't, real, didn't realize it. Number four. Rejoice. Since God has done much more for us, let's make much more of him. Right? Verse 11, it's right there. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul comes back to reconciliation in this verse, and I could make a case that that's because reconciliation is, is even better than salvation, even better than getting out of hell, is, is to be in a restored relationship with God. That's better than escaping wrath. But I think Paul is, what he's doing here even more is bringing us back to the now. Okay, we, we, you, we're looking ahead. Someday we're going we're gonna to get there and, and you can count on. He, he will save you. You will be saved in that moment because Jesus lives. But, but bring us back to now. We can enjoy this reconciliation now. This is where we're at. And that's a reason to rejoice. Rejoice is, a, is another word that was used back in uh, our passage last week, verses 1 to 5. Uh, Since we have been justified, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And, and I noted uh, briefly that uh, you can see the footnote there that the word translated rejoice could be translated as boast, uh, which is an important thing to notice because uh, Paul has been using that word several times in his letter up to this point. He talked about how some Jews had boasted as if only they had access to God, or, or uh, Abraham could not boast because he was justified by faith, but not works of the law. There's no place for boasting, he says in the beginning of chapter 4, when we're justified by God's grace. There's no place for boasting in ourselves. Here's the better boast. Not what we've done for God, but what God has done for us. And that, of course, is not bragging on yourself. It's bragging on God. It's making much of God when he has done so much for us. This is completely opposite to the, to the pride of the self-righteous, the kind of religion that says, huh, well, we're better than those people out there or over there. And it, is, it should sadden us, if we are gospel people, it should sadden us that there are far too many churches that are like that. People gather, they come to this place, and we just uh, celebrate our commitment to a certain traditional morality, and huh, I, I know, that's how, of course, everybody should live like this, and, and I can't believe that they don't know better, and, and we, we get to just reaffirm, pat each other on the back of how good we are, how much better we are, and folks, do you understand, nobody's worshiping God in that church. They are exalting themselves. They're not exalting grace. They're saying, while, while we were the, the righteous, while we were the godly, while we were the good people, Christ died for us. It's not how it works. It's not how it happened. This is completely opposite, the pride of the self-righteous. Our message, the gospel says, God is greater than we can imagine, not just in size and scope and power, but in love and mercy and grace that reaches down to sinners like you and me. And if we are the kind of people who can't stop talking about how good God is, how would this impact our, our individual witness and our corporate worship? 
Well, if, well, if, you, if you think of, of individual witness, your personal evangelism, as merely convincing people to believe in God, proving, that them, proving to them that they are sinners and deserve hell, and, and then if you just mumble this formulaic prayer to get into heaven, that's not boasting in God. That's not magnifying the love and grace of God, showing them, yes, they, they are in sin, and they are headed to an eternity in hell, but, but let me tell you the good news. When we get the opportunity, when we make the opportunity to talk about God, talking about the cross, not just as, uh, you know, how does, how does it work? How does faith and grace and, and, and trust work? How does justification? Let me tell you the definition of justification. I hope you know what it means by now, but we're talking about the cross as the evidence of the love of God. Do you want to know that God loves you? Let me show you what God has shown us in the cross. Talk about faith and grace, not, not as a formula, but as something that's true and beautiful, that you can't lose God's love if you never earned it in the first place. We should be bragging on how good God is, how good God has been to us. Jesus died for my sins, not when I was good enough, but when I was still a sinner. I know what it's like to be saved by grace. I know he can do the same for you. That's boasting in God. How good is this love? How good is God? And, when, and how does that impact not only our individual witness, but our, our corporate worship when we come together? We are not here simply to uh, rehearse our beliefs or clinging to a more traditional way of life while the culture goes in another direction. We're not, we're not firing up the base for the next round of the culture wars. You, you can, if you want to hear a sermon and go and decide, you know, I think an application is I need to boycott Disney. That's, if that's the application you're taking, so be it. But that's not, that's not what we're here to get you to do. Get you to here to see Jesus. And that, that, will, that will change the trajectory of your life. And it will change how you interact with culture and politics and media and news. And it will change how you interact, I, I pray, with your neighbor and with your kids. It will change how you interact in your community. It will change how, what we do when we come here together. Because we're here to say it is good to be in relationship with God as part of his family. Jesus has brought us into fellowship with God to enjoy him now and forever. And the only thing that could increase our joy was to, would be to see more people brought into this fellowship, more people brought into this faith, more people to know the Jesus that we've known, the love of God shown in Christ. The only thing that would give us more joy is to see more people brought in, even the people that we might be tempted to look at right now as enemies. Do we know the gospel? Do we love it? Do we appreciate how much God has done for us in Christ? If God, if he's done so much more for us, brothers and sisters, let's make much more of him. Let's do that. Oh God, help us. You know how easy it is, even for, even for us as believers, 
to drift or maybe to plunge into self-righteousness? Would you keep us, keep us in the good news of the gospel, keep us in your grace, keep us in your love, not just that we know the truth of it, but we experience the reality, the objective reality in our subjective experience, and may that be something that makes a difference in how we talk about you, how we live out our faith, how we worship together here in this place. Oh Lord, give us the joy of relationship with you. Give us the joy of a deeper experience of the intimacy, the closeness, the fellowship that you want for us, that you bought for us through the death of your son. Give us the joy of seeing more people brought into that life, that fellowship, this hope, this peace, this love, and we will praise you again and again. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand as we